Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a wonderful conversation with Dr. Dan Plews. Dan is one of the world's greatest minds in endurance sport. Plus, he has the practical and personal experience on top of the science. He's a true self-experimenter. In this episode, Dan describes everything there is to know about heart rate variability, and he discusses low-carbohydrate, high-healthy-fat diet, and he discusses how he coaches his athletes by first looking at the event and what takes to be successful in that event, then the individual and what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then what training best fits. Dan shares some entertaining stories of some of the training of the power athletes in the Team Emirates New Zealand America's Cup crew and how a four-minute time trial for men that are raw power may have been just a little bit too far. (laughs) This episode had me laughing at times and then jotting down incredible knowledge at others, and I was entertained for the, the full 90 minutes. Now, some housekeeping before we go on. I know I've said it before, but if you're enjoying the show, you'd be doing me a huge favor if you could subscribe and maybe give me a review on our Apple Podcasts. That would really be wonderful. Please keep the, the feedback coming on social media channels. And you can find the show notes, the timestamps, the coupon codes, and links at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. I'm so grateful for the continued support of the show from these incredible sponsors. You really do need to have these products in your life. Personally, I use each of them daily. Athletic Greens, Nutritional Beverage, Hyperice Recovery Tools, and the Glutathione Supplement, Continual G. What I love about Athletic Greens is its simplicity. It's delivered straight to your door and it takes seconds to mix with water. It tastes great and goes down easy. And I know I'm getting the most comprehensive nutritional beverage on the planet in one quick drink. If you're looking for one product that has as much high quality nutrients in it as possible, then you want to consider Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is more than just a multivitamin and multimineral. It takes it to the next level, adding a daily dose of superfoods, probiotics, greens blend, and more to support the gut health, energy, immunity, and stress. And right now, Athletic Greens is giving you, my audience, a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula. You'll receive one year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs for free with your first purchase for additional immune support. Many of the population are vitamin D deficient, including myself. I focus heavily in getting in the sun throughout the day, but when I can't, I religiously supplement with vitamin D. Adding vitamin D to your daily routine is just a great way to support vitamin D production. So if you're looking to get more out of your multivitamin and invest in your immunity, energy, and gut health, then you'll struggle to find anything more comprehensive than athletic greens. Take ownership of your health today and receive comprehensive nutritional insurance, a free year supply of vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Now, you'll hear me mention Normatech and Hypervolt from Hyperice in several of the conversations with my guests in this show. Many of my guests and I are using these recovery tools religiously. You really must have them in your house. Sit in a pair of Normatec boots at the end of a long day. Use the Hypervolt percussion massage device to warm up muscles and loosen hot spots before working out or anytime you have a niggling injury. They're just so easy and they're so quick and they work. Their vibrating foam rollers, thermal technology and Normatec compression systems just help you warm up faster, recover quicker and simply 
move better. Seriously, these products are the perfect Christmas gift for any family member or good friend. Get $50 off all percussion devices now, no code needed, and get an additional 10% off with code GREG10 at hyperice.com. That's hyperice.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com, and use code GREG10 for 10% off. I have a web address for all of my listeners who already know that one, the human body makes the most powerful antioxidants on earth. Two, the master antioxidant your body cells make is called glutathione and the human body needs glutathione to live. Three, the reason I'm addressing a select group of listeners with this web address is that once you see what these scientists in my hometown, Sydney, have accomplished, it'll blow your mind. Go check out continualg.com, continualg.com. That's C-O-N-T-I-N-U-A-L-G.com. Check it out and let them know that I told you about it. All right, today's guest is a doctor of exercise physiology, a world champion Ironman athlete, a coach, and founder of Endura IQ. His athletic accomplishments are extraordinary. He won the 2018 Age Group Ironman World Championship and was the first non-professional athlete to finish and set an Age Group world record of 8 hours and 24 minutes. What's incredible about that is he did it while still working full-time as a sports scientist and coach. He's worked with professional triathletes, Tim Van Berkel, Jan Van Berkel, Carolyn Stefan, and Terenza Bazzoni, and that list just keeps going on. He's also working with the New Zealand America's Cup sailing team. I've been really looking forward to having on the show one of the world's greatest minds in endurance sports. He has the practical and personal experience, and he has the science. So welcome, and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Dr. Dan Plews, how are you, mate? Oh, I'm really good. Wow. Well- what an introduction. It almost gave me goosebumps. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome, mate. I, I think one of the things I like to do in this show is recognize, you know, the guests when they come on and, and what you've done. I just think the way that you've taken science and you've self-experimented and shown that it works is really quite extraordinary. And that's why I was really excited to have you on the show because I feel like you have so much knowledge we can all learn from. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, but what I want to do now, there's so many things that we can learn from you in terms of performance and health and wellness and all of that. But before we really get going, I'd love to just see if we could just wind the clock back a bit, get to know you a little bit. Um, and so why don't we just start with when did you find your passion for endurance sports? Oh, yeah. Well, um, I, I actually started doing my first ever swim run event when I was nine years old. So I've been um, I've been in the game a very long time. We might have even started doing this multi-sport thing at the same time, Greg. You never know. Around <laughs> about the same time. So um, mid eighties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have been. Well, it would have been early nineties for me. Yeah. So um, yeah. so yeah. So um, so yeah. I guess I st- I started then, and it all come- came from you know my dad. My dad was a was a cyclist, but then he took up triathlon, and you know you just follow him around. I I guess I started off when I was running he was running and I'd, he'd be training for marathons and I'd ride my bike next to him and then it would get to the point where I would um he'd be then cycling and I'd be cycling with him and yeah it just it just kind of grew from there and yeah I'm still I still absolutely love it and it, I just can't get enough of I love exercising I, I still love training I'm still really passionate about everything to do with endurance sports so that's that's when it really it really kicked off so um yeah and I, I never never stopped really did you ever feel, I mean, you know, I just mentioned in that, the, the eight hours, 24, um, which is just, I mean, that would have won it 
for most, you know, that would have won Kona Ironman for probably the 30 years before the last five to 10 years. So, I mean, it really was an extraordinary time. You obviously have some true athletic ability. Was there ever a point where it was like, maybe it could be a, a profession or was it, you know, tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I I, I don't really think I'm, I mean, I'm, I know I'm not the massive, most massively physiologically gifted athlete in the world, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, there's definitely people with bigger engines than me, but I, I'm, I'm, I have some things that are more suited towards long distance triathlon. And I, and I really believe that if I had taken up the long distance pursuit a little bit earlier in my life, I may have had a crack at being professional for, for a while. But I, I started off as a as a youth and a junior and I and I was a national youth champion in 1998. And, and you know, at that point in time, I really did want to be professional and I was and this is a bit of kudos to you Greg I was massively inspired by you and it's funny because one of the reasons was I always felt like I was kind of struggling I felt like I was a little bit of a bigger kind of athlete and I looked at you and I think well this Greg Bennett guy he I always felt that me and you were similar size and shape um (laughs) for some reason and I just really thought god well you know and, and you were literally my idol and I I have to say the um the, when you won in 1999 the World Cup in Sydney, um, I've literally I've watched that race at least 30 to 40 times um, on a v, on a VCR on a VCR video as well. I used to rewind it and watch it and rewind it and watch it, and I still remember it because I remember you were. I think it was like a rival um, two piece, you know. And um, yeah. I just remember that on the hills you were just absolutely ripping it and I was just amazed and that, you still ran I mean even remember the time you ran you ran a 31.57 to be precise <laughs> <laughs> did I really yeah You're, that that is awesome and you've you've actually thank you so much that's a very very kind of you and it, it, it actually now you've just given me goosebumps because that was uh when I look back at my career that that 99 Sydney World Cup was really somewhat of a career highlight and not just because of the win and that kind of thing but it was one of those performances that everything kind of came together you know, it's very rare to walk away from, I think I've got maybe three or four out of close to 500 races where I can kind of go, man, that one, I almost got that a completely right. The swim was great. The bike was great. And the run was, was great. So thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate yeah, it. And, it was- uh, <laughs> being a bigger guy, I, I know what you mean. I spent a lot of my career kind of a little bit conscious of that. Um, but I've even said on this show, I, I, lo- I look back and I remember you know, certain photos, even thinking, oh, I'm fat, don't take my photo. And I look back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I may have had a bit of a, you know, a, a body image issue, um, but especially from those 90s. Uh, and then I certainly leaned up a lot more after that. But when did you decide then, you know, being that you're kind of obviously hungry about the sport and had a great desperation for the sport, was there a moment where you were like, okay, it's actually the science and the coaching that I truly love? What was that transition? Yeah, I guess it was just more of a, a gradual transition. So, uh, I mean, I was at Loughborough University, and at the time I was at Loughborough University, there was um, there was like Will Clark was was kind of that that kind of era. Will Clark, Ollie Freeman, and it, and I was quite you know a few years older than them, and and they started coming through, and I'm like, wow, these guys are a lot faster. <laughs> like you know, like you know, like, like okay, this isn't really going to happen. So I kind of finished finished my degree. And then I got a, um, a scholarship, a coaching scholarship to do a master's degree. Um, 
at the University of Leeds where Alistair Brownlee was and Johnny Brownlee were at the time and they were juniors. So I'm from Yorkshire and um, so me and Alistair grew up in the very similar area. In fact, Alistair, my brother was a lot, a few years ahead of him, but my brother went to the same school as Alistair. Um, so, so yeah, so I was like coaching Alistair um, as an assistant coach with Jack Maitland at the time. And then that's, that's another reiteration to know that you shouldn't be doing Olympic distance triathlon when those two are on the scene. And Alistair was like... 17 at the time and i'm like what's going on with this guy <laughs> mate they retired many of us don't we? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah if, if, if if there was if there wasn't already a nail in the coffin of my of me thinking i had a go at olympic distance that was definitely the yeah. final one you know not only is yeah. alistair just bombing it up and down he had his like i think his brother was like 15 at the time and i'm like whoa this these two are uh, next level so um so yeah and that that year um that year alistair won the world junior championships for the first time and i guess mm. until that point i was very much like you know very focused on training and um i had loads of great experiences um, i mean i was actually i lived with paul amy for a, a long time i mean i was pretty much his training hack in the lead up to athens um before and we were out training in i was the guy he was with in italy when he had the accident and broke his pelvis so we were out on a training ride and and yeah, and we were coming down this hill and, and I'm like, well, what's Paul doing? He's taking freaking ages coming down this hill. So I'm waiting at the bottom, waiting at the bottom. And then he comes rolling down and he's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an idiot. I've, you know, fallen off. And so I ended up dragging him back to the, um, to the, to the campsite and we didn't really know what was going on. And yeah, and yeah, that happened. So um, yeah, so that was a point at which I was trying to make it, but never really happened. And then went to the Leeds, Brownleys and um got really into my masters and that was the the first time that um I kind of went into really realize that science was the thing that I was really passionate about and just understanding I just a thirst for knowledge and a thirst for understanding the mechanics of human performance I guess so yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I think there's a lot of us, you know, some some are fortunate to maybe get a slightly bigger VO2 or whatever. Um, and I came through a generation where you could probably get away with a lot more than you you can now, certainly at the Olympic distance. Um, now now I feel like the Olympic distance guys are all freaks and hard work, whereas back then we, we had the freaks, but they were often lazy. And then we just had the hard workers like myself. But it was kind of a, a bit of a mix. But we all have this love for optimizing what we have you know and, and and i think you've made that very evident in the way that you've carried on and, and you've gone into the world of sports science so the next steps who, who are your big influences then moving on to you know where you are now yeah so i guess that put i mean the finishing work off where we finishing where we left off there my um you know i went to leeds and then from leeds i got a job working as a triathlon coach in singapore so I, I was, must have been about 20, 23, 24. And I, so I left the UK, moved to Singapore, and I was basically a triathlon coach for a, a company called Tribob, which was basically it's expat coaching um, for age groupers pretty much. But it was, it was a fun job. You know, we went around Asia. We had um, training camps, and I hosted training sessions every day. And then I did a, about a year in that, and then I moved from there to my first kind of pure sports science job where I was a, a physiologist for the Singapore Sports Council, where I was in charge of all the, like the Southeast Asian game sports, primarily um, endurance-focused cycling, triathlon, running. And at the time, I, I created my own 
cycling team called the OCBC Singapore Continental Cycling Team. And they actually went on to be a pro-continental team, which was um, which was big at the time. I got like funding, got like $100,000 um, sponsorship from OCBC Bank, um, ran that cycling team. And one of the guys from that actually took the white, well, he, he held the white jersey for a period in the Tour of Langkawi. So it was, you know, that was quite a successful project. So that's kind of um, the Singapore base. And then from there, I then met, um, who's now my still very, very good friend. Um, he was best man at my wedding. That's how close we were. Um, Professor Paul Lawson in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And he's like 15-time Ironman finisher, absolute endurance frother like me. And like we had so much in common, science, triathlon. We just hit it off like a house in fire. He got a job working for High Performance Sport New Zealand, the Olympic program in New Zealand. Um, and then he said, I really want to bring you over. So he brought me over basically on a PhD scholarship, um, came over, started the PhD scholarship under him. But then after about maybe two months, I then got a job working as a physiologist for the New Zealand rowing, Olympic rowing team. And that's how the whole thing kind of then went off. And I was with the New Zealand rowing team for eight years, went to Rio, went to London with them. And um, yeah, and that's, uh, yeah, and that's how... It all came off, finished my PhD, and now I'm still active. I've got more, I think, about 40 publications now in the area of sports science and whatnot, supervise many students and keep my foot in the game with a bit of coaching and practical application of the sports science with um, other, other, other sports as well. So, yeah. I, I love all of that. I love that you've got the comp- – like you've got such – so many variables there that all come together. So you've got being the athlete – You've been the coach. You've been somewhat of a coach manager of a, a team, the cycling team. You're then looking at other sports like rowing and, as I mentioned above, the, the sailing. So it's not just – I mean, rowing is an endurance sport, but that six minutes is kind of right on that. Where It's almost – it's still aerobic, but there's still so much power in, in threshold in, in, in rowing. And then you've got the America's Cup sailing team and all the grinders. So you're mixing up the, the science of all the sports. Does that keep it kind of fresh for you then that it's not – you know, only triathlon and endurance sport? Yeah, for sure. And also one thing I didn't mention, I'm also the lead physiologist for the women's kayak Olympic team presently as well. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so all, all in up, yeah, I do have my, I do, I have been across a, a lot of sports. Um, it's quite funny. There's, there was a period of time when I was working at the, um, for the New Zealand rowing team, my wife was working for the New Zealand Breakers basketball team as head of marketing. And then my wife's brother is Grant Elliott, who was a professional cricketer. And he was, he was like the guy who, who basically knocked South Africa out of the World Cup um, and New Zealand went to the finals a few years ago. So there's a period of time when yeah. I was like, yeah, we've, got, we've got all the big sports covered here. In this. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. That's fantastic. And you mentioned uh, Professor Paul Lawson. I, tra- all my years training with Simon Whitfield, I think they, they were very close, if I remember. Because I remember the name and I remember Simon referring or using him was it for the 08 olympics were they working together yeah so it's a it's a there's a bit of a funny um connection there so paul's wife is the cousin of simon whitfield's wife oh gotcha gotcha yeah that's what I, it was then i and, think i, I think yeah. that's the connection there's definitely some i've heard the name and uh, yeah yeah, I, yeah i knew there was something there but i i because it was 
I mean, I, I think I've I've heard of some of his work as well. You know, just intermittently over the last you know ten years of your own kind of research that you do, and I think I've seen his name. But I, but it was one of those names that I kind of mentioned with Simon. What what, what I want to do now is. I want to talk about 2018 real quick before we go into the heavy details of everything that you know. Um, take us through that 2018 season because I had Terenza Bazzoni here a few weeks ago and he said it was all his doing, the fact that you had an amazing race there and won the age group championships at the Kona Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I listened to that. He said it hadn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes, I heard he said that I always take credit for his performance, which definitely isn't true. But um, yeah, I heard that. It, I know. Well, he is, he is, he is now the, um, he, he's probably got the title of the best training partner in the world now. He could probably start charging a high fee for his. That's you- what I said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause he trained with Macca in 2010 to his win. And then he trained Jan Fredino in 2016 to his win. He trained you to the unbelievable, uh, age group world record in Kona. I agree. I think Terenzo, if you're listening, mate, I think you got to start charging more, mate. For these yeah, exactly. Records. But, but yeah. tell me about that year. Yeah, so so um, where, where to begin? So let I, I'll, I'll wind the clock back even more than that. So t- 2015, I did Kona for the first ever time, um, and uh, there were people who might have been in 2015. It was stiflingly hot, like ridiculously hot. And I've been in Kona quite a bit now, and this was a very very hot day. Um, and if you look at all the run times of that, the, the run times were super slow, like much more. If you look at like um, the trends of times, they were a lot slower that year than any other year. Um, and I kind of, I did it and I did nine hours and eight minutes that, that time when I first did it. But there was something in me then I was like, I said to my, I called my dad and you know, me and him are really close still. And we, we, we often talk on the phone about these sorts of things. And I'm like, you know, I really think that I could win the age group in this in this race just looking at the times that these people did knowing how my prep was i was away it was 2015 so and i was with the rowing team at that time so it was really hard for me to train because i'd be traveling for four months of the year in europe with the rowing team you know really bad swimming and not really really hard to get some consistent training in so i was kind of pleased with that and um so i thought okay right i really want to make a concerted effort to try and win the age group at, at kona so um 2017, I was thinking, right, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a good crack this year. But lo and behold, we had the um, the birth of our of our daughter. So my wife got pregnant, and um, and that kind of how did how did that happen? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> my wife got pregnant. Yeah, I was like, oops, no, no. It was definitely it was it was it was definitely planned. But um, yeah, yeah. but you know, you ne- you never know when it's gonna happen, right? So we were trying, and then it boom. So it happened, and. Um, and I had already entered Ironman New Zealand and it was a very windy day and I qualified for Kona. And people knew, like all my friends knew that I was, um, that I wanted to go to Kona. But it was at the time, it was pre- prior to 12 weeks. So, you know, you don't really want to tell too many people at that stage. So I didn't take my slot and everyone was like, oh, why is he not taking his oh. slot? Oh, yeah. Oh, what's going on? Uh, I, I reckon even then some people, like my closest friends were like, were onto us at that point that they knew that something, yeah. Kate, maybe Kate was pregnant. So, um, so lo and behold, Bella, who's our, who's our, who's my eldest now, and um, she was born on the race day in 2017. Oh. Yeah, on race day itself. Yeah. So yeah, so, I love that. Yeah, that so, so great. So it was a wise decision to stay at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, it was never, it, it was never going to be a, a, it was never a decision really because it was always going to be too close. No. But um, 
But yeah, I remember, and that was the year when Terenzo had his, I mean, I'd been working with Terenzo up until that point and he came sick. So I had like Bella with a newborn baby on that day, watching Kona in the, in the hospital on my, on my laptop, you know, as you do, cause you've got to get all the important things done in, at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can, yeah. Can you keep it quiet over there? I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'm, watch, I'm watching Kona. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, so that was, um, so that's kind of brings us up to 2017 and then, you know, all these things, you know, like you imagine now I've got a newborn, uh, one year old and, you know, mm. Kate, my wife, she knew that this was always going to, this was always something that I wanted to do. And she was massively supportive. And she's, you know, if you want to, if you want to have another go next year, you can, you know, you, we'll, we'll do it together. It's a, it's a commitment between all of us and you do your best and you give it your all and train up for it. So, um, so that was kind of the plan. And we, and we even gave, we gave Bella a, a Hawaiian middle name as well. So she, her middle name's Kailani, and which is um, seeing the stars oh. in Hawaiian, which is kind of. So I really think she's a very any. She's a massive good look. Um, I mean, everything's very um, superstitious when it comes to Hawaii, but I do think she's um, my good look. My good look symbol now. Um, so yeah, so yes, yeah, so I trained up for 2018 and went to Ironman New Zealand, which was in March where I got my slot, and I did 8:35, which was the age group record at the time and it still is the age group record so that was a a good race i ran a 252 um and i kind of like oh yeah that's pretty good and then um and and me and it was a really good build-up because jan van berkel came over to new zealand so me terenzo and jan were all kind of training together in in um in new zealand Mm -hmm. Trenzo won. He had that race of his life. Um, Jan came fifth or maybe fourth. He, had a, he also had a really good race. And we were all on a super buzz. And, um, and me and Trenzo were, you know, I was coaching him. We were training together. And, and it was just such a good vibe. And it's a when you actually train with when you're coaching someone, in some ways it's a really beneficial a relationship because – you can what, what you can just feel the way you know if they're tired or not just from the way they're warming up and just from the way that they're pedaling and you know I could always tell that Terenzo is starting to feel the pinch you know because I see him he's a bit you know I can I can tell literally from the way he answers the phone half the time you know so it's like <laughs> it's like hey 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 T is like oh, I don't <laughs> you know <laughs> so um, that's awesome yeah so um, Love that. well on that there's very few coaches in the world that can probably go train with their professional athletes that they're working with so I I think it's great that you've got that that ability but I don't think there's many coaches that could actually I don't know that Brett Sutton or or that would be coaching you know training alongside their athletes all the way. yeah that's a, that's a good point but where, where you can it is definitely um it definitely helps and then so then me and Trenzo went to Kona in um in May yeah we went in May and he had a great build-up block I got injured which actually turned out to be a stress factor in my sacrum believe it or not oh. And I didn't even that realize. Pretty common. That's common on this show, by the way. I feel like every second guest has this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crazy. And so I, so I, I was just cycling at the time, and I missed a load of running. Um, but then, of course, Terenzo, we came back. We did Ironman Cairns. I didn't do the, I didn't do the, that race because I was injured with my, with my stress fracture in my sacrum, not knowing what it was, continually trying to run on it and making it worse. But um, uh, and then, and then, yeah, Terenzo had his accident, so that kind of really put a roadblock in us training together and that you know that completely shook me to the core um you know it's so close to home like he's one of it was you know seeing him every day i was i was actually supposed to be going out with him 
because he was doing some aero testing and we were talking on the phone and he came around to my house because I lent him like a skin suit to test. Um, but I ended up not going to have him because I was busy at work. And I, I said to him at the time, I said, oh, I'll just wait till the weekend and we'll do it together. But, you know, he was adamant that he wanted to do it on that day. Um, yeah, and that that kind of derailed at least me and him for a while. But, you know, he was actually back on the horse pretty quick. But we went we went back out to Kona together for for another good build in September. And I think when winter we were out there, it was pretty apparent that Kona wouldn't be happening for him that year. So, um, and then, yeah, he, as he said in your podcast, he then turned into my training hack. So, um, yeah, which is, uh, so yeah. And then yeah, I just had the most, the most brilliant build apart from the, the injury, the stress fracture, mm. you know, stress fracture injury. I couldn't really complain, but in some ways, you know, I, I think every misfortune really does present an opportunity and, from that, my cycling really improved. And, um, you know, and I think it was probably maybe in, in some ways a good thing. I think you've got to make the most of every 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 downfall. You can always make the most of it. So, um, so yeah, so that was good in that regard. I mean, it's the beauty of the sport, isn't it? The three sports. It's it's kind of, you know, it gives you the opportunity. You can, you can always swim. You can always do the bike. I mean, a lot of a lot of accident, uh, injuries tend to be on the running. So it is it is nice that you can pick it up on on the swim bike. And, and then t- take me through race day. What were your splits? And, and I know it was a pretty quick year, uh, but you certainly optimized the fast year. So t- just tell me about the actual day and then we'll get into, you know, a bit more knowledge-based stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, um just, so the the funny so just before we get into the race day the the um, with that stre- I just want to with the sacrum stress fracture which comes back to the race I actually never found out what that was until I kind of had some continuous back pain um, and a little bit of stiffness around the glutes and um, and I end up getting like a, a scan on my back and then the day before the day before the race the my doctor. Uh, Matt Brick, if you if you know who he is, Matt Brick, the Jew athlete, he's also a friend and um, he's a surgeon. And he he organised me to have a scan. And he goes, "Oh, I know why you've been getting that pain in your butt." I said, "Oh yeah, why is that?" He goes, "Oh, you've got a healing stress fracture in your sacrum. So if you feel anything click tomorrow, sit down, don't move." <laughs> Oh, that's what you got in the back of your mind the whole race. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So so that's how that that um, came. Um, it came out, but um, yeah. So that's what I did. I did, actually didn't think about it the whole day until my friend came alongside me and on the like about eight k to go with the run. He goes, "How's how's the butt?" I was like, "Well, I hadn't thought about it until now, but feels all right. Thank you." So <laughs> you bastard. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So um, yeah, race day itself. It was obviously it was it was a quick year, but I um, had a bit of a conservative swim. My swimming's always my weakest. That's the thing that I definitely cannot keep up with the the um, you know the Yans and the the T's of the world. They're just you know this was powering past me, and I did a fifty-four minute swim, and then on the bike um, for I think it was four thirty-two, and then the marathon was a two fifty two fifty marathon, which was the fifth fastest of the entire race actually. Wow, mate. Yeah. J- I love how you go, your swimming's your weakness. Fifty-four minutes, by the way, is for anybody. That's incredibly good swimming. Okay, yes, there's guys going under fifty minutes, but very few. Um, some of the best professionals. A four thirty-two bike, so you're averaging that forty k an hour. Um, just absolutely incredible. And then to drop a two fifty marathon, it's one thing. 
Kona, there's something unique about it, and you, you you touched on it earlier. You know, there's there's something about Kona, and I think we're all still trying to understand what it is. You know, and and you're the sports scientist; you can tell me. But and Mark Allen might put it. You know, you got to say your prayers to you know Queen. What is it, Queen Kamalamala, or whatever it's called, or whoever the island? It's a unique place, but very few people can really lay down fast marathons. I mean, were you on track that whole run for a two fifty? Yeah, I was. Um, I mean, I'll, I can I'll send you my my, my splits. Um, it was like I can't actually remember the exact, but it was like I ran like a thirty eight minute ten k, forty one, which was at Polani, then a thirty nine, and then a forty or something like that. Um, wow. Yeah, it was back to back to back. Um, I was super super um, flat, and I actually did some analysis and. Um, so I, I kind of put my because I was just um, I was looking at some data and I was and you can get the splits from the pros because they all have their splits along the way. Then I had my splits from my stopwatch, which is obviously there's a bit of a difference there. But the mm. you know you, I, I could rank my position all the way through, and then the last like the last I think it was like five k. It was only Patrick Langer who was running quicker than me because I obviously oh. didn't slow down. I just kept on this going at the same pace. So. so um, yeah, I was actually running one of the. It was only one, one, for the last like, little bit. I was one of the fastest runners on the course for the last for the last five k ish. So yeah, well, yeah. well done, mate. Congratulations! It really was fantastic. So what I want to do now is break down how we did all of this because I think what I love about your story is the self experimenter. You know, the the ability to know the science, have a little bit of an athletic background, but then be able to use all the science that you've learned. And, and put it into practice. So, where do I start? Um, your doctorate was in heart rate variability, correct? Yeah, Is correct. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to just tell us a little bit about that and what that actually means? Because there's there's a number of listeners that aren't endurance athletes that might be just sort of listening to optimize their own health and longevity. Um, what are we look, talking about when we talk about heart rate variability? Yeah. So, um, heart rate variability. It's basically it's a measure of the autonomic nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system it's broken into two parts. Um, you have your sympathetic side, which is kind of your um, more your stress, your, your fight or flight response, if you like. And then the other side is your what's called the parasympathetic side, known as rest and digest, kind of the relaxation and the recovery side. And the two working in combination with each other. Whereas if you're highly parasympathetic you're lower on the sympathetic. So you, know, you and me now, we're, we will be predominantly, unless we've just done some high-intensity interval training or something that's quite stressful, we should be predominantly parasympathetic and relaxed in our state. Um, whereas when we exercise, we have lack of sleep, we get highly stressed at work, we shift more to more of this sympathetic fight-or-flight stress response. And what high variability does is it's trying to ascertain which side you're most well, or your it's not actually trying to you can't measure your sympathetic side but it's trying to measure your parasympathetic side and it's assumed that if parasympathetic activity is low sympathetic activity is high and the way it does that is it's basically measuring the variation in your heartbeat so you or me sat here right now greg and say say our heart rate 60 which you know fit athletes like us is never going to happen we'll be in the 30s at least of course, um, but uh, <laughs> but you know it'll be. It's not going to be once upon a time. Yeah, once upon a time. Yeah, um, it's not what the gap between each heartbeat is. Not once. It's not a second. 
it's a varied heartbeat. So it, it will be might be a one second, then half a second, then three quarters of a second, and you know one one point two seconds, and it's kind of varying all the time. And that in essence is what you're measuring when you're looking at heart rate variability. And more heart rate variability is associated with more parasympathetic activity, rest and digest, whereas less heart rate variability is associated with sympathetic stress, like fight or flight stress response. So, and heart rate variability was originally was originally um, researched more in health uh, for health populations rather than athletes, because it's generally known that healthier people have higher heart rate variability, higher parasympathetic activity, and are generally less stressed. And But my PhD focused on how you can use heart rate variability tracking to optimize training adaptation, whether that be whether you're adapting negatively to a training load or you're adapting positively to a training load and how you can then adjust training um, accordingly to, to meet that. Fascinating. And so you can, I guess... These days, they've come a long way with how you can test. I think there's apps and things that you can now download on your phone and you can test it. But you you could then wake up in the morning and go, oh, look, I'm, I'm way too sympathetic today. My, my heart rate is way, uh, heart rate variability is just not, it's too minimal. It needs to be a bigger range. Is that it? You can kind of go, okay, or what kind of workout I should do today? Maybe if I'm well it kind of indicates if you're well rested, right? And if you can do a higher intensity workout or not. Exactly. So there's been a number of heart variability guided um, training studies now. Um, and so the high variability guided training studies, they do just that. They say, okay, if my, there'll either be a, a standard deviation above your normal or a standard deviation below your normal. And they say, if it's, if it's a standard deviation below, and you've got low high variability, I'm going to do low intensity training. Whereas if it's above, I'm going to do high intensity training. And that's basically high variability guided training. And I've actually just been part of a, a review. So we've just published a, a paper that was um, that, did, that pulled all of the high variability guided training studies together to um, see if high variability guided training is a better way to improve purely VO2 max. And, you know, that systematic mm-hmm. review showed that it is likely better than normal like block periodization training. Um, so so it does seem to be effective, and that's one way way to do it. But typically in my own my own athletes, I I look more at trends over time. So I look at more 10-day rolling averages to so if it's if if they're doing a hard training block and they seem to be responding to that training block and they're coping in a functional way, you'll generally see increases in heart rate variability. But if they're if it's over that rolling average, so you look at like a seven-day or a 10-day rolling average and you'll expect that to be climbing if they're kind of coping well. And then as they rest and recover, you usually see it come back down to kind of their normal baseline level. So it's kind of this waving response when they're training mm. when they're training well. So you get up and down periods as you go through training cycles. But if you have a period where it's coming down and you're, you know, you're in a high training load period and the heart rate variability is coming down um, gradually over time, then that is the point where I'll go, okay, something's not right here. Something's going wrong with the training. I'll maybe look at the training intensity distribution. Are they doing their hard, easy sessions a little bit too hard? Um, what's the sleep like? What's the diet like? What's the overall mm. day-to-day mm. stress like? Because nine times out of 10, I'm looking, I can look at the training and I'll be like, hang on a minute, this just doesn't make sense. And then go, oh yeah, I moved house last week. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, the, that's, yeah. that's the great thing about it. It's, it's very, very global. So you, like with training peaks and 
and um, you know these stress balance and autonomic and acute training loads, they're hopeless any because you have no external um, mm. input at all because it's you know it doesn't know if you're moving house. It's just saying oh your training loads this, therefore you must be this. But it doesn't know what's going on with the sleep, doesn't know what's going on with nutrition, doesn't know if they're having trouble with their partner, if they're moving house, if they've got exams. And that's the really great thing about heart rate variability. And it has been shown, the research has now shown time and time again that um, the the state that you present yourself to a, to a training session, and that can be your heart rate variability, that can be your motivation, that can be your, um, you know, how willing you are to do that session, how excited you are to do that session, affects the way you adapt to that training session and they that's really important really important thing to consider because you're getting literally more bang for your buck if you're if you're ready to do a session and you're happy you're motivated then you're actually getting more training adaptation from it and that's um mm. and that's what you you kind of look for when you're when you're really trying to optimize that each and every training session i love i love that it was funny when i had a, i think mutual friend of ours dr tommy wood i think you mentioned that you um when we were before this show we we know um and you've done some work with him but basically when i asked him because i'm i'm a huge advocate for you know visualizing and 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 really passion you know and being in the right headspace before certain training or even if i'm just visualizing on a massage table and and i asked him you know you know does visualizing kind of work what do you think and he said you know what we what we think has a direct impact on our physiology and kind of what you're saying is bringing that attitude that that mindset to training but we can actually see that that mindset is affected by heart rate variability it's kind of like the chicken or the egg i guess like how much can our how much can we actually if our heart rate variability is not where we want to have it before a workout how much can we do it through just mindset management is that possible? I mean, you can definitely affect your heart variability um, mainly through breathing, to be honest with you, rather mm-hmm. than, you know, like, and that's why a lot of, um, like, you know, a lot of meditation, you know, enhances heart rate variability, enhances your parasympathetic activity largely because of the breath. So when you, when you breathe, um, what happens is when you exhale, you're exerting parasympathetic flow onto onto the heart and onto other onto other receptors which is slowing down your heart rate which is why if you ever f- purposely look at your resting heart rate and you breathe in and then you do longer exhales you'll naturally see it come down so you can you can do that but to me that's a bit more of a a, a quick fix you know it's it's, mm. it's an acute fix and it doesn't you know it, i don't think that's really going to affect the training i mean no one's really done that maybe it might be a study that someone could do you know if, if someone is presenting quite stressed that they can do some relaxation some acti- some exercises um to really bring down that heart rate and then do do the exercise but i'm not sure whether that would be the case really but yeah it's, it's an interesting one to to consider mm. i'm just reading a book at the moment called breathe by james nestor i don't know if you've read that book if if not i would no, no. highly recommend you um you get it it's all about basically the art the power of breath um nose breathing and all the ailments that breathing can cure and how important it is to breathe properly and how as, as humans, we're just really, really bad breathers. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a, um, it's a great book. I definitely recommend it, but it kind of goes into, he goes into that, um, the, the whole cycle of breathing and how it affects the autonomic nervous system and how, um, it, the, you know, one of the, one of the things I just recently read in this, um, 
in this book is he talked about the inhale and the exhale and how many mantras in prayer um, they force you into a longer exhale, which increases your parasympathetic activity, which is why, you know, this healing power of prayer may actually be somewhat true because the mantra of prayer is forcing you to reset your autonomic nervous system and set yourself into more of a kind of a healing and restorative process, which I found mm. pretty fascinating. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's kind of like a prayer or the art of practicing gratefulness or whatever it is that you, you know, you need, but combining that with, with the breathing and that it actually has a physiological response. Uh, I think it's fascinating. And you, and you mentioned obviously sleep and nutrition. I want to kind of dive into those a little bit because I, I think you're uh, incredible um, with, you know, understanding the low carb, high fat world that we you know tend to be hearing more and more about especially endurance sport um but i'm also curious about it for the everyday layman um it, there's no doubt the science that seems to be out there that carbohydrates we seem to have overdone them the last 20 30 years yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even when i had i had Dave scott on and he's like oh i just want to put it out there i was wrong you know yeah. throughout the 80s and 90s preaching to everybody and and we always we were laughing about you know the big carbohydrate parties before the races yeah know, everyone, lo everyone loves party. the pasta party hey <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah but i mean You've you've now self experimented and you've worked a, a lot with a lot of athletes. You have your courses on Endure IQ that that coaches and athletes can take to to educate themselves on this low carb, high fat diet. Can you tell me? Let's start with something very simple. What when you talk about a low carb, high fat diet for just a layman, somebody that's maybe working out a little bit, what kind of a day does that look like? Um, and do you encourage that for a layman or is it only for endurance athletes? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll start by, so that we call it the low carb, healthy fat diet, because that's a, a very important thing to realize. It's mm, not like yes. low carb, healthy <laughs> fat. That doesn't mean you yeah. go and eat, go to the chip fish and chip shop and fry your fish and think you're, um, you're smashing the high fat, right? So, um, so that's, oh, so you ruined everything, mate. You just ruined it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we'll start with that you know, that disclaimer. <laughs> um, I got it. I got it. <laughs> so I guess there's, um, when it comes to low carb diets, there's, there's a, there's a bit of a scale really. So you can go from what's more known as a ketogenic diet. And then you, you come up in your, your amount of carbs and to more of a low carb, high fat diet. So ketogenic is generally considered to be less than 50 grams of carbohydrates per day whereas low carb is considered to be more 100 to even 150 grams of carbohydrates per day um, which is still that's a reasonable it's a lot more than 50 you know and, and that's why i'm more of a fan of low carb than ketogenic for athletes specifically because it's more maintainable it's quite easy to keep your carbs at 150 per day if you're a little bit conscious of it um, so, so that's the difference. And obviously you're looking at then the rest of your, uh, macronutrient intake. If your, if your carbs are kept at that constant, then your, the rest is coming from basically protein and fat as the other macronutrients. And, um, yeah, so, the, and, the, so there's some people believe, like if you read the research in ketogenics, protein should be kept to a, a regulated amount due to something called, um, gluconeate gluconeogenesis where you're basically making carbohydrates from proteins um 
But my opinion is that that shouldn't be the case with athletes and you should ignore your how much protein you're having um, because that's the biggest mistake that I think most athletes make is that people don't really understand um, ketogenic diets and low-carb diets and they and lots of the research is done in ketogenic diets specifically is to do with epilepsy and seizures. So they have to really be very, very severe and also with people with insulin resistance type 2 diabetes. So they have to be more severe. Um, but the, the, when you're deciding what you should, where you should be on that kind of scale, it's it's totally individual. So someone who's a, like a type two diabetic, got insulin resistance, has very high fasted blood glucose. So anything of five, basically five and a half above, you know, they they're probably people who need to be quite low. But athletes generally don't need to be that low because one is they're exercising a lot, so glucose disposal is much, much higher than a sedentary person, but also they are using it a little bit more. So we're um, so you're looking at being a little bit more more cyclical in kind of your periodization of where you're t- um, titrating those carbs into, into the diet. A quick mini break. I really want to encourage you to do something special for yourself and sign up to Athletic Greens and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. I experimented a lot when I was just, you know, when I turned 40 and I was still racing professionally and I was like, you know, okay, I'll give some of this longer stuff a go and start doing some 70.3s and Ironman and and I didn't have your science background by any means and I was kind of doing my own research and and uh, <clears throat> listening to a sponsor I had at the time, which basically was still preaching a fairly high carbohydrate <laughs> diet. Yeah, yeah. And I had, my Ironmans were pitiful, mate. I, I think I I did two of them. I did Melbourne and then I did Kona. But Did, did you ever have your fat metabolism measured? No, I never did any of that. I yeah. was actually quite lazy when it came to the science. I, uh, I, I was a bit of the... 80s 90s where hard work is the only thing that matters still and yeah and, and i mean that's not all true but i i definitely had a bit of a mindset you know just go train harder and harder and longer and longer but i did start experimenting more and more especially sort of oh, my final year and, and then a year or two after as i just kept training about you know doing a lot of exercise where i wasn't eating you know, I'd just go on water. I could go for five-hour bikes, ride 140, 150K through the mountains of Boulder, and I felt fantastic. And I, I found that year after year, I got better at doing it, right? It wasn't, it didn't happen quickly. I didn't suddenly become a fat metabolizer quickly, yeah. but, I, but I, I learned. But the problem I had there, you know, I still had competitions, you know, Olympic distance races, and so I was still kind of going, okay, I need to go down and do an intense workout, whether that be, you know, 10 by three minutes or whatever. And I really found that I just, my body wouldn't let me go. It wouldn't let me shift gear. It wanted me to stay in that aerobic, complete aerobic state. You know, it was like I couldn't force the pace. So then I started to have to add little bits of carbohydrate either that night before or the morning of. And I guess what I'm saying is I was kind of doing intermittent fasting. I was trying to focus on the fat, but I never had it completely managed so how do you work with individual athletes in terms of managing their day-to-day you know if they're going to do one day is going to be higher intensity another day is going to be endurance is this you know you just kind of work with each athlete kind of going you need to have a bit more carbs on this day and compared to another day or do you just keep it the same the whole time yeah well i guess like with enduro iq as you mentioned we got that you know ldt 101 which is a low carb course and you know what one of the main 
in you know one the, why I was inspired to kind of do that course is because of that what you just talked about is that people so many people try and do a low carb diet but everyone does it wrong and that's why I'm like you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I'm like geez I need to and 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 it's not like I don't I don't sit say like you know you must do a low carb diet and this is definitely the best diet for every single athlete and I don't really I don't believe that to be the case at all but if you're someone who struggles with um, finishing, you're bonking a lot. Yeah, you, there's, this, mm. th- there's three major things that are problems with with triathletes. Is one is they 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 bonk. You know, they hit the wall. Um, two is many have massive um, gastrointestinal distresses because they're having to shovel too much carbohydrates to meet the demands because their fat metabolism is so low. So the only way they can get around that is trying like take 90 grams of carbs per hour and then they can't take it because they can't take the fructose and they have a really sore stomach. And also they tend to train all the time and still not be very lean, you know? So they're the, mm-hmm. they're the three things. And that's where, um, and that's, that's the kind of what I was hoping to do, do answer with the course and help people navigate their way around to get, to answer those questions for people because they're, they're very, very common. But to answer that, that question, it's, you know the the main thing that I find with someone who like where you're presenting what you're saying is that you know you're finding the top end is hard. Often it's um, generally lack of overall energy balance because what many people do, as you alluded to, is they try and double dip, so to speak. They go low on the carb and they fast. So being low on the mm-hmm. carb, yeah. you're generally more ketogenic. Ketogen- ketones are an appetite suppressor, which is why many people lose weight on a ketogenic diet because they just eat less. But then also you're then not eating. So then you're in this massive negative energy balance. And we know in males that if you're more than 400 calories in deficit per day, which is super easy to do. You imagine if you don't eat until midday and you've done like a long ride, that's very, very hard to then catch up. So then you have reductions in testosterone, you have reductions in all those other functions that are really important for high-intensity exercise. And um, that's the main reason why I see people struggling with the high end more than anything. And um, it's more to do with that overall energy balance. And it's even with the same with the keto flu. We've got a student at our university who showed that very thing. People who have the keto flu, it's nothing to do with um, ketones or ketone levels. It's all to do with energy balance and how much um, yeah, how many calories they have on and how much energy they're using. If they're in a massive calorie deficit, no wonder you, you generally feel pretty um, not that great, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah fascinating. What, what do you think, uh, you know, I've had a couple of people on and I, I think I'm going to discuss with Tommy Wood uh, in the next couple of weeks, Dr. Tommy Wood, a little bit more about looking at the specifics of sort of the DNA genetics and ancestral health. Um, I had a a doctor on by the name of Dr. Ara Sapaya and a fascinating guy, actually, if you, if you want to listen to an interesting um, episode. He, he, his journey to where he is is, is very entertaining. Anyway, we, we were discussing sort of nutrition and things, and, and he was sort of saying, look, I'm from Malaysia and my ancestor is from, ancestors are from India. And he says, I tend to feel better on a carbohydrate diet compared to maybe a Scandinavian that might feel better on a higher fat diet. So now we're kind of talking about individuals to the next level looking at our ancestors and our dna and genetics what are what are your thoughts on all of that you know when we're, we're working with individuals yeah for sure well just while you're on the subject of tommy wood as well um you should ask him about the paper he wrote on um 
on high intensity interval training and ketosis because he wrote a paper that was by um, loss. Of, it was entitled "Loss of Machinery in Ketosis." Maybe we're looking. At the, <laughs> maybe we're looking in the wrong place. And he explains that you know there's this idea that we're we're losing enzymes like PFK to um, that are down regulating our ability to use glycolysis. But he he wrote this great little piece that says no because we're down regulating some places where we're up up regulating in other places that. Are helping that very matter so that will he'll he'll be able to talk to that and help you with that as well so um so that's really good um but just perfect i'm all, i'm always i'm always texting him all these random questions by the way he's like my go-to guy i'm like hang on what about this what about this i think he's, quite, he's probably sick of me but i said look you're my man you're on my show here so you gotta keep going yeah exactly it's, yeah 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 um but um the the on the ancestral health like i think you know, I, I really do not believe that one diet fits all. And, and even when it comes to low carbohydrate diets, you know, I always in Endure IQ in, in our course, we call, we say a sweet spot because everyone is a little bit different in what suits them. We talked about, you know, from 50 to maybe 150 or more. So it's about kind of bringing your, bringing your um, carbohydrates down, building up your ability to build ketones and use fats and then building the, uh, the um, carbohydrates back up a little bit until you find your own point, your own personal sweet spot. And of course, if you look at the data and look at all the, there was actually a really good paper that was done that kind of looked at Mediterranean diets, low carb diets, um, high like low fat diets and and it, and it said and it looked at okay if we take a group of people how many of them are responding positively to this diet and there's a there's a wide range right and some people respond negatively some people respond positively to all diets but generally this paper showed that most people respond positively to a diet lower in carbohydrates but of course some people didn't so that's the, and that's where maybe that ancestral health stuff might come in a little bit in the, mm. you know, there's, there are differences in what people can, can take and backgrounds and, um, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, not, no, it, it, go on, sorry. I, I feel like, I feel like we're just scratching the surface a lot on the, the DNA and the genetics. Is that what you think? I mean, I had Dr. Mansoor Mohammed on here and, and he read my genetic profile out you know, which was a bit, <laughs> I felt a bit vulnerable on that episode, but, but it was actually quite fascinating as he went through things. Where, where do you think we are on, you know, genetics and, and the DNA and the, the science of it? And, and, and I guess on the second part to that question is the more we know about our DNA and genetics and, and moving forward, do you think we start to lose a little bit of the play in sport that we actually start to know too much? Yeah. So, I mean, we had someone approaches. Um, so my um, guy who works with me at Emirates Team New Zealand, Adam, Adam Story, who's he's, uh, he's his PhD in, in this area. And, you know, we, we were approached by someone who was looking at doing like gene testing and trying to get some um, to kind of titrate the training to suit individuals. And, and, and uh, he's an expert in the area and he was like, yeah, he, he doesn't really believe that we're there yet. And it's, mm. and it's really hard to, to get the training to that level where you're actually, or, or diet where, where, where we really have a full understanding of, of what to do. Um, it's one thing reading it, but then it's another thing making the, um, doing the interventions or the behaviors that are actually going to affect it. Because I don't, I think we're we're pretty good at 
getting the information, but I don't think we're actually good at doing anything um, prescriptive with the information. So, and 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 surprisingly or not, you know, this it even comes down to like training as well. Like you can have because I always had this question when I was at rowing, like you could have someone who's doing a two k performance, say six minutes. And you can look at the anaerobic and the aerobic contributions of two individuals. One could be 85% aerobic contribution and then a 15% anaerobic contribution. And then you could have someone who does the exact same time, but they're totally different, where you could have almost like, wow. make, you know, 65% aerobic and then the rest <coughs> anaerobic. And, wow. you know, we don't even know what training is most suitable for those two people. You know, do, wow. do you train the strength or do you train the weakness? No one's really answered that in the world of sports science. There's always been a question that I've had. You know, the 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 old adage is that, you're, well, obviously you train the weakness, but really do you train the weakness? Because when it comes to anaerobic contributions, like it's actually quite hard to train. So you might be just flogging a dead horse when you're trying to train a, a anaerobic guy, an aerobic guy with anaerobic yeah. training. Um, and I had that experience with a girl that I was working with. She was in the women's pair. Um, she actually got a silver medal at Rio. And, you know, I tried so much to try and shift that anaerobic capacity, but it just didn't budge, you know? And it's, it's, um, wow. it's such an interesting thing. So when we don't even know that, I really question what we know about the interventions in specifically, specifically with training when it comes to genes and, and that sort of thing. That's fantastic. I love what you just said there because I've, I've always been a huge advocate my whole career of, of training to my strengths. Yeah. Right? I, I, I support my weaknesses. It's always been, you know, really, really work on my strengths, but support my weaknesses. And if I can outsource weaknesses to somebody else, that's always what I'll do because I feel like we're all experts. We all have something. God has given us all something to, and we should all be trying to optimize whatever that ha- that is to us. Um, you know, personally, in my athletic career, I always felt like, well, the bike came quite easily great that doesn't mean i don't work it that means i really amplify it and see if i can create some damage the run was always my passion so that was what i wanted to go do so i amplified that my swim was somewhat of a weakness but i would do enough to think be at the back of the first pack right that 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 was always kind of the mindset and it's it's interesting you talk about the athletes and how they break down but can still have the exact same performance you know one being more aerobic and one being more anaerobic because i i think when you look at athletes now, I mean, even when you hear certain athletes VO2s or whatever else, and yet they're still very, very similar. And I've interviewed a lot of, a lot of athletes this year, and they're such a cross spectrum of uh, of athletes, and yet they all get the same results. So then, how do you measure and change and adapt with an athlete? Because this now becomes the art of being a coach. And I guess let's go a bit more in specific into the actual the way you train a Terenza Bazzoni, a Jan Van Berkel, a Tim Van Berkel, Carolyn Stefan, you're working with them all individually. How what? How do you approach it? Are you looking at it going, look, you guys are all eight-hour athletes, four to eight-hour athletes. We're just going to lock down and focus on aerobic endurance all year or how do you break down the year for these people? Well, well the first thing I, I always do, I mean, this, is, this isn't just with Ironman. It's, you know, this is the benefit of being involved in a number of different sports because it always starts mm-hmm. with the determinants of that event. You know, and then, so like rowing versus kayaking versus um, sailing versus um, Ironman triathlon or versus Olympic distance triathlon. First, you've got to really understand the physiology and really understand, okay, what is required to win or do well for that individual event. So for like um, the America's Cup sailing, for example, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit like they're doing a cycling criterion. 
really. You know, they're doing like really, really short, short bouts of about 20 to 30 seconds of high um, anaerobic activity. Like, you know, they're doing like 700 watts for that period of time. And then basically they've got about two minutes where they have to recover. So then you say, okay, so I've got, you know, a lot of strengths involved because they've got to produce a high peak power. And we know that like bench press, for example, is massively related to peak power of the arms. And then I've got an anaerobic component where they've got to be able to sustain, but then they're also got to be really, really aerobic because they have to recover between bouts. So then immediately you've got three things that I say, okay, I've got three parts of my training program now that I know are absolutely key for me to really home in on and get right. Whereas in an Ironman, you know, totally different and it's not, Ironman is not about being faster. It's not about going faster. It's about, it's about doing things easier. Like, you know, you could, you, I mean, Greg, you would know, I mean, you could run, you can run the pace easily to run a 230 marathon. But the problem is, you know, in an Ironman, you just couldn't do it easy enough. So you couldn't do it. And that's, and that's a completely different mindset. So then other parts of training come into it. So suddenly the aerobic threshold becomes a really key determinant economy becomes a really key important thing and then also substrate use becomes a really important thing because if you're not if you're producing x amounts of power and and i say okay at at 300 watts of power you're you're 100 reliant on carbohydrate even at 90 gram even if we shovel 90 grams of carbohydrate in you an hour you're still going to run out of endogenous supplies then you say okay i we need to work on this we need to work on that so um so yeah, the first step is that it comes into understanding the determinants of the event and then understanding what the athlete is capable of and then building training sessions that that you believe um, really give you an idea that, yeah, this is what that athlete can, you know, this is the athlete can do this, this, this should equate to that type of race performance. So for example, you know, four watts per kilo for an Ironman athlete is pretty much the price of entry for an elite male, right? So if you can't do four watts per kilo, a heart rate below your aerobic threshold, then there's no point even getting started. So that's the first thing you've got to kind of work on and, and think mm. of. And, and if you're at four watts per kilo and you're burning like 98% carbohydrate, then that's also a problem. We've got to do something about that. So that's the kind of approach that I would generally take with it. Yeah. Oh, I love all of that. That's fa- And I love that you've got the, the different sports. So I don't know... Um, Kai Hurst, uh, if you know him, he, yeah, he I listened, works. I listened uh, to your um, podcast with him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fantastic that he's gone from the three sports, you know, surf Ironman to to Olympic swimmer to to now working as a grinder on the America's Cup. Yeah, and I mean, just what an incredible athlete. Yeah, you know, we we finished that show and I asked him, you know, have you been you know tested or whatever? And he didn't have much to say on that. I, I'm I'm sure the sports scientists have more on him, but he said, well, I I do have a 10.2 lung capacity. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's pretty hard. <laughs> the, average, the average man is six liters, correct? Am I uh, correct on that? Yeah, that's, that's around correct. six liters, six or seven, yeah. But, well, it, I mean, it depends on the size of the male, right? Bigger men have bigger lungs, obviously. Um, yeah. But, yeah so. but that was insane. Yeah. I was like, well, no wonder you drive under a wave and hold your breath for like a minute and yeah, pop up the other side. I mean, uh, I, I find all of that fascinating. And then so for you, as you, you coach these various athletes, are you more of a – are you the physiologist in the background or are you actually, I mean, you obviously with Terenzo, you, you're a hands-on coach and, and very involved, but with all these, uh, with the rowing and the sailing, are you hands-on or are you allowing others coaching you, you're doing the testing in the background? Yeah, it, it very, so it's different for different things. So with, with rowing, um, you know, I was very much more in the background, but I, 
I actually ended up running a lot of training sessions, um, particularly uh, the, around the men's. I did a lot of training sessions for the men's pair who were gold. They were um, gold medalists in London and Rio. Oh, um, yeah. So I did a lot. Uh, as I, as I kind of I started off more in the background, but over rowing, I kind of moved more and more into writing the actual training. And but I would I would never go out. I would kind of help the coaches and write the training and give them a suggestion of what that should be. Um, with kayak, I'm very much in the background just doing the testing. I talk with the coach and that's that's it. But then with the Emirates Team New Zealand, my title is Head of Physical Performance. And that's really very much more of a coachy role. Um, so I'm very hands-on. I'm there every, I, I'm there when they're not on the water. I'm there every day. Um, you know, see them, I, I run them through the session, you know, very much there with a, sometimes even with a stopwatch, like, you know, encouraging and you know it's really very coachy so um when they're out in the water yesterday we went out in the water with them and you know we're out from 10 till 10 in the morning till six at night kind of just testing sails and whatnot which is pretty crazy wow. um but yeah um the what we have um one of our grinders um louis sinclair is from oracle so he he used to train with kai and he and he Lou was saying that they used to sometimes jumping off the boat and um louis would put on full size like scuba fins and sit on his feet and try and keep up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean that's just it, isn't he? The the guy was a fish in a water. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Yeah. And I think yeah. he said even in the show, you know, I I was encouraging everybody to do swim training, the the whole team. Um, yeah. have you had a chance to get on one of those those foil yachts yet? Have you actually yeah, been on I, it? Yeah, I, I have, yeah. So cool. um, I went on the – so we've had two boats. We had the first boat, which is boat one, which is kind of the more test boat, and I had a go with that. But we launched boat two um, a couple of weeks ago, so I haven't had a chance to get on that yet. But, yeah, I went on the the first one, and, it's yeah, it's pretty pretty unreal. You wouldn't believe how wet you get on those things. It's like you absolutely – if it comes if it falls off its foils and it comes and the water comes in you are just like up to your neck in um in water literally so um, i mean they're insane right it goes between 80 and 100k an hour when it's at top flight oh across the water yeah it's crazy i can't give you exact speeds or, or otherwise no, yeah, i'd have to hunt you down and kill you but uh <laughs> i know well i was asking kai if i could get a ride he said greg mate we the, the rest of the team that are on shore haven't even had a go yet you know yeah. like, oh, damn it yeah it's really hard <laughs> to awesome. get a ride i mean i'm fortunate because like my role you know requires me to understand oh yeah understand what's yeah. going on and the requirements and yeah. you know and they've got to be you've got to be so strong like because if if you catch it wrong and and the, you get a lot of hydraulic pressure, it can be really really heavy. So you're talking like you know two big strong guys doing a lot of like basically it'd be like you trying to um, having your bike in its biggest gear and being stationary and then trying to get it moving as quickly mm. as you possibly could. It's that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, yeah yeah. Yeah, much like the track cycling. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, yeah. it's kind. Of, didn't they at one point have the grinders on bikes rather than grinding with their arms? Yeah, they did. So, um, so Emirates Team New Zealand, we're like the defenders, right? So we we're the current owners of the cup, um, yeah. and we won won the cup in. I wasn't with them then, but so I say we. San Francisco yeah. seven to one or something, wasn't it? They, they lost then. Violation. Yeah, they lost then, but oh. then that, but then Bermuda is when we won. So the last American. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's right. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, don't don't, don't bring up the San Francisco one with a no, New Zealand. No. <laughs> Yeah. No, that was the one. They were ahead, right? Yeah. And they end up losing. Six, yeah. six up, six nil, and then lost. That's right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then in in Bermuda, we um, New Zealand won, and that was when we had cyclists um, 
doing the doing the grinding well at the time so yeah. and they called themselves cyclors yeah cycling <laughs> sailors cyclors um but yeah and um we had like uh so the the story goes is that we have a couple of couple of athletes who are still in the team and they're in the team then we have joe sullivan who was olympic gold medalist at london for the men's double in rowing so yeah me and him are now you know we've had this like eternal relationship i worked with him there and then now i'm working with the america's cup so we kind of got back together which was pretty cool and then also we had um, Simon van Bethoven, who was a bronze medalist at London in the Kieran for the track cycling, who was obviously wow. a, an absolute shoo-in for being a cyclor, but he's just made this amazing transition um, to now being a, a grinder with his arms. And he's he's like, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing, really, Greg. Like The, the thing that fascinates me is like you know, someone like you or I have said, okay, Greg, what are we going to do is we're going to do five 30 seconders max with eight minutes recovery right and they'll be like what's the, what is the point in that you know you, you do your best and it would be reasonably hard but it wouldn't be that bad but those guys are so fibrous and have that this massive anaerobic capacity that absolutely debilitated like you know that it absolutely crucifies wow. them and like the, the the other day we did this session of 6 30 it was um no it was five 30 seconders of eight minutes recovery and the the rule is it's lactate tolerance so it's like it's like so a, so eight minutes between each like thirty seconds and then eight minutes recovery. You're yeah, saying eight minutes recovery exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go on. We, yeah. We, I'm just letting that really stink in. That's we, a lot of rest. We, but you're you right. Me, you're like you, you'd be like, what <laughs> is going on? This is ridiculous <laughs> right? for a triathlete. But but like it, it's just like they have lat- now. I'm taking the lactates and the lactates are at like twenties and twenty three, twenty. You know, the, the, wow. some of them the lactate meters it, it's more than it breaks. It says too high when it goes over twenty five. And I had three guys who went over 25 and um and one of the just like, for perspective just perspective everybody uh, uh, probably an endurance athlete is right between three and five right i mean somewhere down about around that much yeah around i mean you just couldn't produce because yeah we like, can't produce you can't, can't produce it because it's it's a byproduct of anaerobic glycolysis so it's at the end of that uh, mm. of glycolysis mm. it spills out at the end and because we don't have that system that engine that's that yeah. trait we're all about oxidative phosphorylation we just we just don't really produce lactate or have an anaerobic system that produce anything any type of power in that capacity which is why we also would be really really crappy at producing a lot of power over 30 seconds so you'll always see that higher power over 30 seconds if you did a relationship between power over 30 seconds and and lactate it's very very close because people who have mm. higher lactates will have higher p- power as well so um so yeah, but so to finish the story, we did this session the yes, other day, yeah, yeah. and you know, someone like you and me would be like, yeah, that's hard, but absolutely just destroys them. And um, it's been a real learning for me to to see that, like, to the point where I had one like Simon, who's the who's like the track cyclist. He does it, and he's like, he goes, go and get my bike. So I go, he gets back, he goes quickly. So as I as I wheel him the bike, he just throws up on the floor, and then, <laughs> and then, he, and then he, he jumps on his bike, and he's like, oh, and he's and he's wobbling his way, trying to recover going down the car park, and he's dry wrenching as he's going down the car park. And then he kind of goes around the back of a chase boat, falls off his bike, and it's not all falls, just dry, right? Like spewing on the floor. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. That, that's the thing. They can go there. They can go to that yeah. dark place, right? Whereas our bodies go, no. Yeah, exactly. No. You just can't you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I I saw some video actually doing some homework for this and, and you were kind of, they're all doing a lot of preseason. I mean, they've still got 
Is it next year? It, it's in March. But it's still got a while. Yeah, it's in March. Yeah. yeah. But the video I watched was still they had a long, long time to go. And and I think you guys were just doing some early, early season testing. Yes, right. These yep. guys were just like encouraging each other to just absolutely go go to the limit. And yep. I think you had them testing their 10-second ability, 30-second ability, and then a four-minute yep. time trial for these guys, yep. which must feel like a marathon for somebody that produces that kind of lactate. Yeah, must, yeah. That four minutes must be forever. Yeah, so that, that was the early testing when we were actually trying to select people for the team and we were trying. I was trying to get a bit of a power continuum. So they also did a 10-minute, so you kind of got that, that curve that you could kind of, mm. you get an idea of people's strengths and weaknesses. Um, I, it was absolutely debilitating because at the time, I, I mean, coming from more of a cycling background, I was like, oh, I, I know that that's very achievable in cycling, but because they're so fibrous and so anaerobic, the, the four minutes was so hard for them. <laughs> Some of them literally were like they had rigor mortis. They could barely yeah. turn the turn the, um, turn the the handles over. Um, so I, so I actually end up changing, I changed the testing now, but, uh, yeah, that was the idea of that. But, you know, I guess you live and you learn. Unfortunately, uh, there were, there were a few <laughs> the casualties. Guys. <laughs> yeah. They're still cursing your name, I'm sure. But yeah. the idea of these, these monster men that can, can absolutely blow these machines apart for 10 to 30 seconds to then go, right, pace yourself for four minutes. So I actually watched that and I was like, Hang on, cause I, you know, my brother, you know, played professional rugby and he's not built like me at all. He's, he's that, you know, real athlete kind yeah. of guy, tremendous speed power played on the wing, right? Okay. Um, agility, agility the, the, the true athlete. I became the endurance guy, you know, the, and I love my sport of triathlon. So I'm not bagging triathlon. I feel very fortunate and grateful for what I had, but I always kind of wanted to be that kind of athletic power kind of guy my brother got all of it and i got all the endurance stuff so i I got very used to watching that you know i used to love racing him around the block you know because i knew i could get him over a 1k run but anything basically you know south of a 1k run he he definitely had my measure that that kind of even up the one minute but yeah uh, but when he blew he blew yeah like he seriously can't take a step yeah exactly (laughs) that's the thing it's um it's a full-on full on blow blow is it is is your brother living in cambridge now did you mention on the yeah, yeah, my brother's down in in Cambridge. He's a chaplain at the at um St Peter's. Uh, oh, the, wow, wow. The the, pri- the private school boy uh, school. Yeah, because um, um because that's where I'm um, New Zealand's based in Cambridge, Lake Karapira. So I've spent lot, <laughs> yeah. many many times there. My my parents actually own a house there. So they they're in the UK and they kind of do six months six months. So they have this eternal ah. summer so they'll do six months in the UK and then six months in New Zealand. Everything's a bit mixed up at the moment with COVID, but yeah. No, I know. Yeah, you None should. of us are moving at the moment. I know yeah. I haven't made it over there yet. I, I hope to, but he, all these kids are now, you know, they've taken up cycling on the velodrome. Yeah. You know, the, the, this school, everybody, um, St. Peter's in, in Cambridge, New Zealand. Oh, quite remarkable. Yeah. It has this velodrome that, that, High performance New Zealand also use cycling velodrome in a school. I still can't get my head around it. Equestrian center, um, I think a golf driving range. Do they? I don't know. But and then the rowing, the river right there, and the, the head, you know, high performance New Zealand rowing. Like you said, it's really quite extraordinary. Yeah, stuff. it's a great, it's a great spot for a bit of training. I mean, the the roads. I mean, the New Zealand roads are, are really terrible, especially around Auckland. For I mean, that's why me and Terenzo took a, a bit more mountain biking because, but because the roads around Auckland are just diabolical. But um, Cambridge is yeah. actually really good. Like Cambridge has got great cycling. So um, yeah. yeah, and then the, and you just got Rotorua. It's not far away either. You can do a day, easily do a day trip to Rotorua. So 
Um, it's like yeah, an, well, an, an hour well, and a half. between you and Terenzo, I, I want to get over there and we'll, we'll go, and my brother will all go do a um, a Rotorua trip and some mountain biking because that's Terenzo and I, even though he was a triathlete, I think we spent half his episode talking about mountain biking because yeah. uh, yeah, you, right, yeah. you guys had done that, that, done that. You did that 100K with him, right? Did you, do, you did the whole 100K? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I did the whole, yeah. So I beat him, by the way, just so you know. Oh, did you? I'm not sure if he mentioned that in the no, episode. Didn't. Did he? Did no, he, he got he got a puncher. He got a puncher, and then he comes up to me at the end. He goes, "Ha ha! Look at that's my right. look at my moving time. I still beat you." And I went, "No, you didn't. Not on the results." <laughs> that's right. That's right. He didn't know how to change a mountain bike tire. Or yeah, something. He, exactly. he, had the, he had the wrong inner tube or whatever. That's right. He was full of excuses. But he's pretty. All right, I got to come. I, go on. Sorry. Keep going. Keep I was going to say he's pretty. Fe- he's pretty fearless. Um. Pretty fearless, old Terenzo. Yeah. Eh? Like he's, he, he? he took yeah. it up. He took it up pretty. I mean, I'm just a scaredy cat. Like, so to put it into perspective, in that race, um, they had like one king of the mountains section, and um, and I was 79th overall. And I, so that's how that's. But, but my, my downhilling is so crappy and diabolical. But on the up one uphill, the longest king of the mountains, I was fourth overall. So that puts into perspective uh. the difference between my my physical ability and my skill level. Um, yeah, but you haven't made that much time on it. You guys have only just started mountain biking, haven't you? Yeah, well, yeah, about four months ago. Yeah, no, that, that'll come to you. Next, next time we get over to Boulder, I'll, I'll, I'll take you up to um, uh, Winter Park where we, we go do the downhills. And uh, and turns out I couldn't believe that I was so lazy now that I, I yeah. enjoyed the ca- catching chairlifts up and just riding down. But I said it's just a fantastic day. Yeah, I'd imagine. Fun, fun to do with your mates. Don't think of it as training or exercise. It's just a fun day to go do the green then the blue and then maybe some black and i mean i wouldn't go up to a double black diamond or anything like that if i can see the backside of a jump i tend to feel a bit better about it you know and if it's about a one meter drop off on the other side i'm happy to let the bike free flow a little bit but but generally you get better and better yeah (laughs) i don't know i don't know if i i'm just grade four we don't know how i think like a black one would be grade five here but yeah i'm I'm only happy no. with doing a grade four. That's my, there's a lot of like, it was all single track at the, that, um, in Rotorua, but yeah, I'm happy. yeah. My, my, my motto of my, my technique of going downhill is I just grab a fistful of back brake and let it rip. Well, <laughs> uh, it's not, it's not a bad idea. I mean, keep your hands off the front brake. I mean, every crash I've had is because I've overdone the front brake, yeah. you know, suddenly there's a tree in front of me and I've slammed the front brake and so, and I end up going plowing into the tree. Um, I, I've had quite a. I mean, now we have two kids. I got kids about the same age as you, actually. I think our daughter is maybe two months old, younger than yours. Oh, cool. Our little daughter, Sydney, was January 2018, and then we have a boy this year, January 2020. Oh, we're uh, very similar. So, then. yeah, because Jake's, yeah. Jake's just turned my young, my youngest has just turned one. So you, oh. we, we can we can share the pain of of having exactly. two years. <laughs> Whoa, exactly. it's definitely hard. That's why. The amount of people I've had on this show that talk about training and all these big miles, and I'm kind of like, yeah, this year's kind of been about just 45 minutes each morning, but otherwise it's hands on deck with the kids. And, yeah. and we've been on somewhat lockdown, just having a, a you know a 10 month old and a two year old this year without COVID. We've basically been locked down anyway, so yeah. our life hasn't changed substantially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll get the kids together. We, we'll share each other's pain commiserate i want to keep this show going a little bit though because i do have a few more questions for you that's a good to get sidetracked a little bit um what um in terms of general health and overall well-being with 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 your athletes are you encouraging any kind of specific supplements or are you measuring that on a regular basis to see what they need no i mean i don't really encourage supplements with my athletes i mean i kind of 
Yeah, I, I, I let them really take care of that themselves a lot, of, a lot of the time. I mean, I can share some of the supplements that I, that I take myself personally, um, but most of them, you know, it, it, it's hard because one is, especially with the pros, lots of these supplements are not um, from informed sports, so they're not batch tested, um, which is, and, I, and, I, and I'm not saying, and that's not to say that they're going to be, um, any of these supplements will be, contaminated but i always sit on the sit on the fence so i don't want to be the person suggesting these things <laughs> because yes. I, no i don't blame you yeah, i know, don't blame you because yeah, it's a yeah, little yeah. bit it's a little bit scary because as you hear you do hear some horror stories of of course of that sort of, of thing so um so i tend not to and like, you, you'll be hard pressed to find good supplements that are also have gone through batch testing and informed sports so um i tend not to do that really um all right. Well, what what are you taking? So I take I'm I'm I used to be a complete non supplement taker, but now I take um a few things. Yeah. So I take um I take resveratrol. So resveratrol is basically it's from the the root of a plant, and it's like an antioxidant. Um, and it's supposed to uh, it, it helps with DNA repair and prevent DNA damage. And it's one of the supplements that really helps to help with supposed to help with aging. Um, so it's basically, it's, you know, you hear uh, the benefits of red wine, um, it's because of resveratrol, but the amount of red wine you would have to drink to get the amount of resveratrol that's actually beneficial would definitely make the, 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 um, the, the bad part of taking red wine, um, it'll be a little bit too much. So yeah. yeah how much is too much? How much is too much? <laughs> You're talking a couple of bottles a night, I think. So <laughs> So, um, so yeah, yeah. So I, I take I take that, uh, and I also take um, NMN, which is um, nicotine mononucleotide, which is also it's a precursor for it's basically it's an NAD booster. So NAD is yeah. it's, it, we we can't survive our NAD. If we didn't have NAD in our body, we'd all just pretty much die. And it's the, one of the key key enzymes that's associated with energy metabolism, specifically in the mitochondria, and that's also. Um, associated with um, DNA re- repair and, DNA, and protecting against DNA damage. And it's another age-related um, aging supplement. Uh, and it's supposed to, and both of these things are supposed to activate your sirtuins. And the, I don't know if you know what I've heard of sirtuins, but sirtuins are one of no. the main, the main, um, the main regulators in aging. So, um, so yeah. So, you know, as I got older, I, I try and keep ever youthful and, you know, it's all about cellular health. It's all about keeping your mitochondrial healthy and they're the two things that i tend to take and then also i'll take um take two probiotics and then just a general multivit every day as as well which is um i use pure be pure um the supplements that i use um so yeah so that's 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 pretty much um all the supplements that i take which is which when you lay them out on a table it's quite a lot <laughs> i know well it's yeah. funny i'm a bit like you i mean I never took any supplements, right? And I, and, I, and I only started doing it more so this last sort of four to five years. And again, like you, it was more about the aging and longevity side of things. So I'm, I'm fascinated to hear you say, you know, what are you taking now? I mean, right now, I don't know. I'm, I'm taking omega-3s. I'm taking vitamin D, the science that seems to be coming out on vitamin oh, D. Oh, yeah. I take, uh, yeah, I also take vitamin D actually as well. So I take a yeah. Metagenics and I have it in a... Um, so I tend to, I actually really double down on that as well. So I'll take nearly one mil of that. Um, mm. um, and it's basically, yeah, it's high. 
um, specifically around COVID and uh, listening listening to Rhonda Patrick, you know, she reckons that... I was going to say, that's my reference tool there. Yeah, she reckons (laughs) that you can really go high on it um, and you're absolutely fine. But I don't don't, uh, take it every single day. So I'll I'll kind of like, days when I'm out in the sun a lot, I won't take it. But if I have a day when I'm where I'm like inside all day, I'll then I'll, I'll take it. So I know I also take, um, I do have the Amiga threes as well, but I'll, I'll also, I'll, I won't take that all the time because I eat a lot of fish. Um, you know, we're fortunate to live in New Zealand and we have great fish here. And I actually, Emirates team New Zealand is next to this fish market. That's absolutely outstanding. So I'll, we'll always have a really good, <laughs> really, you know, because literally you can, the fish is coming in fresh every morning next to the building. So I'm like, well, I'm going to have to go get some fish. So, um, yeah. So I don't take it that regularly, but generally I will bring that in and out when I when I feel like I need it as well. But I, I just yeah. don't I don't like it because I it it really repeats. You know, you can really taste that fish taste all day. Uh, that's I can't take it. Uh, we got we got a really good brand. My my wife is really the one that is you know dives deep into all of this kind of stuff, and I kind of get it secondhand and then sound like the expert on this show. But uh, basically, yeah. <laughs> the stuff that she she has is taking. I don't I really haven't found it had. I, it doesn't come back on me at all. Um, mm. That the Amiga. Yeah, because my w- my wife says it doesn't it doesn't come back on her, but maybe it's just me. I don't know. Yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe your body's saying we don't need it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know it's fascinating. I mean, the vitamin D, the omega threes. I've also I started uh, incorporating through. Um, I think it was Doctor Tommy Wood who put me onto it. I can't remember, but uh, magnesium glycinate. At oh night, yeah, yeah. Um, for for my sleep, and and I really found that one. I, I know when I take sort of uh, the quantity that I take, I know that I get sort of a really heavy five to six hours sleep, which which is great. Um, and then I take a, I've been experimenting this year with magnesium three and eight um, during the day. And that, that one's also, it seems to light up my brain pretty well. Oh, so really? I've kind of, I, might, I might have yeah. to give that a try. I mean, I haven't, yeah. I was, I did go through a phase of taking magnesium and yeah, but I I haven't really, taken as much as recently i mean anything that can i mean for athletes right the i always think of like recovery is a the three big pillars of recovery is your your nutrition like you're having a good wholesome diet um training periodization so the way you place your sessions whether it be um you know making sure you're not doing back-to-back vo2 sessions and high intensity and then also sleep those three things if you can nail those three you're going to be on a winner but the sleep thing is um <laughs> is the one it's not easy yeah it's not easy what are you doing anything specific for your sleep because i've had to get you know i went and got myself a cooling pad and you know and, and all of that and that has helped yeah um but i tend to be fairly i don't know if it's kids or whatever you know fairly high strung and have to work a lot of my breathing like you were talking about earlier and, and that kind of thing are you a good sleeper do you have to worry about I'm, any of that i'm i'm an okay i'm an okay sleeper i reckon i've definitely got worse as as i've got older um mm. i mean the, the i do i do work in i have um some work in europe a lot of the time so i'll often have calls quite late and that to me is the main bugbear of mine when it comes to poor sleep because I, feel, I really feel i need a good wind down at the end of the day so if and, I, and i get up really really early so i'll generally be up at, at between 4 four forty five and 5 every day so i try and get into bed between 8 30 and 9 um so yeah. it doesn't leave me much time so if i've got a call at 7 you know and it might go on till 8 or 8 15 i don't have much time to unwind and that's kind of the most important thing for me um but the thing that i find really really helps me the most is a shakti mat 
Have you heard? Of, have you heard of a Shakti mat? No. Oh man, you're missing out. This is. Um, is that, maybe, did Torenzo mention that on his episode? What's it called? A Shakti mat. Shakti How do you spell mat. that? S H A K T I. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's um, it's like um, it's like a bed of nails, but it's, you just lay on it, so it's like acupressure on your back. And that, yeah. if I'm if I have got a lot in my mind and I'm really struggling to sleep, like last night was a prime example. I had a call, a call that was late. I went to sleep. I couldn't. I, I have the I have too much in my head, and I just lay down on the mat, and then um, and it just kind of just calms me, and then I'll just try to pull it out and and roll roll to sleep, and that it really works. Is that right? Yeah, it's really oh, good. Go check that out. And they're cheap for that. They're, su- they're super cheap as well. Yeah. Oh, well, that so, that suits me even better. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It suits everyone. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. So yeah. Give that a try. Well, that, that, that's, I, that's been a, a you know I think we've covered a lot. In this, and I know for the listeners, I know we we sidetracked a little bit with some fun stories on the side there, but I think there's so many great, you know, takeaways here. I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm in a year's time, I'm 50, and I'm thinking of doing some, you know, getting back into some kind of endurance activity rather than just lifting heavy weights and trying to be big. <laughs> I, um, I'm, I, but I, but I have to, I have to tee something up with you, and because uh, I think you'd be a great guy to work with on um, on sort of coming back into the sport after sort of what will be you know six years out um it'd be fun to sort of see what we can do pick an iron man or two or do something silly um so i have to i have to yeah you know get back in touch with you in, in you know six six months to yeah, a year a year away from my 50th a, mate um a big um a big goal of mine i've always wanted to do the race across america so maybe we me you and terenzo and we'll find someone else maybe chris mccormack and we can make a ripper of a team up to do the race across america <laughs> Yeah, that could be fun. Yeah, that, be, actually, there we go. I'd love to do that. Mate, That's my aim. Mate, right now, I just I just got back on the bike this last two weeks, and I've thirty five minutes. And my bum's already killing me. <laughs> the idea of riding across America. I better start training now. Um, but mate, this has been absolutely fantastic. And and you know, to hear that you had a late night last night, you you got up early and you you're chatting to me the you know this morning your time. I I really really appreciate it, Dan. This has been absolutely fantastic so thanks for coming on the no, show thanks for, thanks for having me on it's been awesome yeah and um look for everybody that's uh, enjoyed this show you can find all the show notes and timestamps, the coupon codes and all the links that dan's mentioned throughout this show um before you go dan how can people best follow you or get in touch with you or do some of the courses that you're doing where do they find it yeah for sure so i'm, I'm pretty active on the socials so um instagram which i think is um, at the Plues, um, unfortunately. Uh, and then, yeah, you can find Endure IQ. So EndureIQ.com is that's where we have all our courses. We've also got just launched an Endure IQ training squad, which is kind of, um, it's a, it's housed in today's plan and it's sessions. You can put, we have like rolling plans for Northern Southern Hemisphere based athletes. You can pull in different sessions. They're scalable to your availability. Um, and yeah, you, you can check it out all that online. It's, um, kind of like the next level of, um, adjustable coaching and planning for, for anyone who's wants to rip it up in some long distance triathlon. So, um, yeah, take a look on there. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, like I said, I'll put those all in the links. You can find those at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Um, but mate, again, fantastic. Thank you everybody for listening. What an incredible episode, mate. Thanks so much and stay on the line. Thank you. Cheers, mate. 
Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.